and welcome back to the Odd Week Podcast, the place where you're going to get all of your car culture information for this week. On today's show, we're uh, talking about the new world of sim racing. We have uh, the great Matt Weaver on here talking about the brand Brave New World, where people are watching NASCAR on their TV, but it's not really NASCAR. Uh, we dive into the sad delay of the Detroit Auto Show. Um, heck, we might even talk about a Bentley. That's at the end of the show, in case you want to jump to Mark Vaughn talking about a Bentley. But until then, we're going to have uh, the great Natalie Neff. Uh, also, hey, this is me. This is Wesley, by the way. Natalie's on here. So is Graham hey. and uh, Jake. Oh. And from New York, Patrick, the great Patrick. <laughs> it sounded like T-Pain right there, Patrick. Are you hanging out with T-Pain? Uh, we're, of course, recording yeah. this digitally. Anyway... Uh, Natalie is going to guide us through our weekly dive into what's going on on AutoWeek.com, also known as Talks. Natalie, what are we talking about this week? So, yeah, every week we bring you these themes we call AutoWeek Talks. And um, maybe unfortunately this week we are talking about fools, which seems a little uh, asynchronous to the times that we're living right now. But... I think that we uh, we had a few good workarounds to talk about fools. I mean, coinciding, of course, with April Fools this week. Um, and while I'm not sure that in our quarantined household we'll be pranking each other very much, um, like I said, our guys did a good job to uh, delve into the theme of fools in a couple of interesting ways. Jake took the avenue of looking at foolproof controllers in cars, which I thought started a really good conversation in the office about which ones we all preferred. And Jake, you, why don't you tell everybody which one you decided is the best and most foolproof? Yeah, my favorite has always been, or at least for the past 15 years since I've been driving cars here, has been uh, BMW's iDrive controller. Um, the main thing is that it's just a giant rotary knob uh, in, the, in the center console, and uh, it controls all the functions um, that you need on the touchscreen. Uh, in newer models, you can also use the touchscreen, but even before that, um, there's this big roll dial, and so it spins and it leans left, right, up and down like a joystick, and it also can be clicked like a mouse. So, say you're on navigation and you want to move to radio, you just uh, maybe hit the back button and then scroll down to ra- scroll over to radio and click down. Um, if you're on Apple CarPlay, uh, you know, and you listen to music or podcast, there's maybe five or six or seven options on the screen, and you can just twist that dial to roll between them and each uh each stop is like a little click so it has a really nice tactile feeling with it and the new new ones they put lots of money in these things people love them that they're like glass covered and they look like crystal and they're all very nice um and other manufacturers have since followed them in um to this um clickable rotary dial world audi for instance uh, uh mercedes had one for a little while uh cadillac the new new cadillac escalade has one uh, I will say this much, Jake. You touched on CarPlay, and uh, that's uh, that's historically a weak link with BMW, home of iDrive. Yeah, well, the only reason I think the only reason that it's a sore point for BMW is that because they don't include it on every car. But as far as the workability of it, I mean, it works uh, just as good as anywhere else. And instead of having to reach up and touch the screen, your hand is. Not if it's not on the wheel, then it's usually down on the armrest, right where your hand touches the uh, rotary dial. Um, 
but yeah, it works. And I use CarPlay almost every day. Like every time I get into a car that has it, I use it and I love it. And it makes it much easier to do your normal uh, iPhone functions, including navigation. But yeah, the, the clickable, rollable, leanable wheel is just um, is my favorite. And also the some of the I don't know if BMW's new new system has it, but the but the last one and I know Audi's does. You could also use your finger to draw on the rotary dial too. So if you're looking for yes. a, an address in uh, California, you you know you scroll a C, and then the you know the C states will come up, and you go on from there. Uh, you know, I think Jake, you did. You, you probably took a lot of flack in the office with, with your choice of iDrive as your most foolproof controller system, and I have to put myself in that camp as well because some of us actually have hangover from the first generation of iDrive, mm-hmm. where even the word you know carries so much baggage with it for the most clunky, least intuitive, most difficult controller to sort of navigate. And, you know, while the system now is definitely vastly improved, you know, people like Wes Rail and I jumped in, like, there's, there's just too much baggage with the iDrive name and the nightmares we still have from dealing with that first gen, situ- uh, first gen um, controller setup. So yeah, right. I, I fall on the Audi side, definitely. Audi has never had, to me... Um, an in a, a you know non-intuitive system it's always been easy to use the jog wheel um the the, the file system to you know search what you want so i mean i would go with audi in that regard but i mean i get what you're saying with the current with the current gen i drive yeah i think we're kind of talking about two separate things here like one is the actual controlling of it and then the other is like the internal menus on how to get from here to there um, and yeah, I know the first iDrive was definitely bagged on. And I think it came out in 2001. Uh, that was before uh, my tenure at AutoWeek started. So by the time I got there in 06, um, they had, I think around like Gen 3 by that time or something like that. And uh, I got the hang of it. And now I love it. And even as much as I love the, I do like the big touchscreens like Volvo and Subaru now has. I still think that it looks cooler, but the safest way is with the roll down. Now the menu setup, right, is a little bit different because Audi has the same jog dial as BMW does, just different like menu setup. So, so yeah, there's uh, there's different ways to go for sure. Just gonna ask you, um, you know, I've seen you playing your uh, your racing games on Twitch, and I noticed that you are always eating some form of chip. Do you have an issue with haptic uh, controllers? Do you get little like Cheeto dust all over? Um, I don't do a lot of eating while I'm playing the driving games. Uh, and if I do, I'm definitely not in like the Cheeto Dorito area. I'm trying to stick with like a, a peanut or even, even a potato chip, which at least doesn't have a color. You know, if you're, uh, if our kick-ass Thrustmaster, uh, TSXW racer wheel, uh, with its suede, um, rim, wouldn't want that to get all orange and greasy and gross. So I usually stick with a uh, a less greasy chip or a non-greasy snack altogether, like a pretzel. But I think what Patrick might be alluding to is what about chipping while driving? Exactly. What do you mean? Eating chips while driving? Yeah, chipping like, while driving. In real life? Yeah, I'm yeah, just uh, getting the screen all messed up. Jake, do you, are, are you not familiar with chipping while driving? It's the taking the world by storm, bud. I'm I not. Chip, I, chip, I chip while I drive. No, I'm, I'm not familiar. Um... I, uh, I, uh, chipping means, uh, trying to quit smoking for me. Just having a few smokes a day. That's chipping. Huh? That's a new one. Anyway, uh, I'm a big fan of the last generation Mercedes 
infotainment system. And I don't think you can really separate the UX from the, the actual hardware, right? I mean, because uh, MBUX is a fantastic software, but that control pad is, I've said it before and I'll say it again, awful. Um, right, that's exactly what we're talking about. The the Mercedes interface, or the, the actual the software behind Mercedes is good, but the touchpad is bad. But uh, yeah, so I, 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 that's, I don't think you can really separate them. That's, that's the problem I run into when I'm evaluating an infotainment system, right? Because we can all agree, Audi is fantastic. Uh, I, would, I would have to still vote for Audi in that regard. And the other thing is every evolution of the MMI system that Audi has has not deviated from a pattern so that every upgrade, you still know which, which quadrant the, the home button is outside of the jog wheel. They don't move like which quadrant the nav button or audio button they you know it's not like they've moved the buttons that drastically from gen one to whatever generation they're on now so that it's you know if you're familiar with the system and the setup already it's it's a no-brainer to kind of interact with it um whereas you know a lot of the other systems every generation they kind of rethink the whole setup and it doesn't it just doesn't work for me the way as smoothly as interacting with the Audi does. And, uh, and BMW can't help but keep adding weird stuff. Like uh, suddenly they decided that gesture controls were going to be a thing. So every time you start up the car, it reminds you that if you twirl your finger vaguely towards the center vents, it may or may not turn up the volume um, for some reason. Like, is that, did we need that? I thought, I thought, as Jake said, they had finally figured out how to make iDrive, uh, I don't know if intuitive is the right word, but uh, usable. And then, boom, now we need more. Like, this is one area where I'm not sure gimmicks are needed. I mean, Jake, you just wrote a story about how Honda is going back to knobs for controls. So, like, I, we've been struggling with this. They've been getting better. There are some that are fairly slick. The Audi one, as Natalie mentioned, I've always liked. I like the Chrysler and Hyundai ones because they're very simple. Uh, big screens, redundant controls for certain things. Um, they tend to work pretty quickly. I, I just, I don't know what the added complexity is. I mean, until cars drive themselves and you can spend all day typing away at the screen, I, I don't know. It just, the need to make things more complex seems to be irresistible, but is this what people want? I, I don't know. Well, the funny thing is that like, so I know with the BMW, I think Mercedes is right there. So like touchscreen, then you got on the Mercedes, a touch pad and the BMW, the roll dial, you got your steering wheel controls, you got gesture controls and voice controls. So we're talking about five. Don't forget the touch pad on the steering wheel. Oh yeah. The oh my God. Yeah. The Mercedes. Yeah. yeah that's the little nubs. Yeah. I, I kind of like those. <laughs> Which I have to admit I use as well. Well, it takes all kinds, that's for certain. Ooh, and also now with the most recent Mercedes steering wheel, the uh, powertrain controllers and drive controllers on the steering wheel, like the little screens, those are pretty fun. Uh, that is I. That is the dumbest <laughs> thing I've seen. Uh, Graham, is it, is it dumber than the BMW key fob that's got the screen built in? Oh, I forgot about that. I said the dumbest thing I've seen on a new car, not uh, on a new car fob. So true. Okay. Speaking of dumb things, uh, moving on a little bit, the Pontiac Aztec. Not so dumb now, is it, you idiots? 
Oh, it's actually still pretty dumb. Um, but it kind of uh, concept was was strong, um, which is kind of why I decided to write about it. Um, yeah, I, a lot of people say, "Oh, it was just ahead of its time" or whatever. I mean, aside from the people who own them, who have convinced themselves that they like them, it's a it's a pretty dismal car by basically every measure. Um, but the idea of a car based, high riding, ruggedized crossover thing seems to have kind of come to dominate basically every segment of the market. I mean, I put in the story, even Mercedes Benz, the E-Class wagon, so far as we know, we only get the Aztecized variant of it, which is, you know, terrible. Well, and and the Mercedes wagon will lack the best feature of the Aztec, the uh, removable center console that doubles as a cooler. Or the, the, the tailgate tent. Um, Oh, that too. Yeah. You'll have to turn to the aftermarket for that one. But Graham, uh, explain to us what your story was about on AutoWeek.com. Like, explain the the whole the second coming, I guess, of the the Aztec, the second relevancy, or first. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not the only person to point out that you know, basically, this idea of the Aztec has proliferated. Um, but you know, since we were writing about the fools thing, my my whole thing was kind of like the Aztec gets the last laugh. Um, not only because its um, form factor has kind of spread across everything, uh, every automaker, but also because I, I was thinking about it and it was actually kind of a success if you include the Buick Rendezvous in the picture, which most people who talk about the Aztec never mention that one. And it's kind of like, well, everybody was laughing at the Aztec. Buick was selling, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand of these goofy luxuryized versions of it, which if you take off the body panel, I mean, it's the same. It's not just a platform mate. It's the same vehicle. I saw a stripped out one in Detroit, which kind of spurred me to write this whole story. And it looked like an Aztec once you pulled off the body panel. So it was kind of like the Aztec played wingman to the rendezvous, which might have something to do with why, Pontiac got the axe and Buick is still around. Incidentally, now as basically an only crossover brand in the US. <laughs> so Yeah, the Regal is dead. Um but also we 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 can't for not see the elephant in the room, right? The Aztec was made famous by the second best TV show ever, Breaking Bad. Obviously the first best is the wire, right? Of course. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Okay, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it's not it's it's not Vanderpump Rules. It's your favorite show. Okay, so Breaking Bad's my third favorite show, with The Wire being, of course, number two, following uh, our fa- fantastic people over in West Hollywood. Lisa, get me on that dang show. Uh, you know Vanderpump Rules. I do love the Vanderpumps, but uh, sadly, there's not nearly as many cars on Vanderpump Rules as there is in uh, The Wire or Breaking Bad. But uh, everybody's here. Everybody here's watched Breaking Bad, right? Natalie, you watch Breaking Bad? <laughs> no. Uh, yes. No. What? So the is I, I, against all odds. I gotta say, I really have not watched like any shows or movies from the past uh, probably fifteen years. Come on, so, no, I, like I, not like not like the ones that we keep talking about that keep coming up. Like, never seen Sopranos, never seen Breaking Bad, uh, no Wire. But I mean. I will say that the reach of Breaking Bad is such that 
I, I know about the Aztec and I know yeah. that it was like a stand in for, you know, patheticness. In my understanding, I could be reading it completely wrong. Maybe it was, it was uh, a, an attempt to rehabilitate the Aztec. But my impression is they picked it because it was shorthand for like sad dude whose life was definitely not going the way uh, he thought it was going to go. Am I wrong or? No, I think you're, I think I think you're, you're right. right. Yeah. So I would say that's how great the casting is that I was able to get that without the great the car casting was uh, without even seeing it. It's like I instantly know uh, what they were going for. I think with the name too, it has some of that like kind of New Mexico aesthetic. Oh, right? that's true. I never thought about that. But uh, is there a car that has risen from the the pit of obscurity? Because of a TV show, or or maybe what's what's your favorite what's your guys' favorite car from a TV show that otherwise you wouldn't remember? What do you drive on the Rockford Files? Is that a Firebird or something? What are you, a seventy eight year old man? It's the only one I can think of. I mean, you don't even know what car it is, so apparently it wasn't that memorable. <laughs> Oh, how about this one? Uh, when Zach Morris uh, wins the volleyball match at the beach at the beach club and uh, buys Karosi's uh, Mustang, that was a big deal. That was a big deal getting Karosi's Mustang. Yeah, we all yeah, remember yeah. that. He wanted that thing bad. Uh, I think. Uh, let's see. I watched the French Connection a while back, and I might have talked about this on the podcast before. But there's a a brown uh, Continental Mark III that factors prominently in the story, say. Uh, never had any interest in that car, but after watching that movie, I'm like, wow, that's, that's kind of cool, like in a weird kind of 70s opulence way. So, I mean, you can see things differently after watching them in, in a popular media. So, Are you talking about the Lincoln Continental Mark III or the yeah. Continental Mark III that was featured on J today, yesterday? No, no, sorry. The the Lincoln Continental Mark III, the big, uh, the big seventies vinyl top, yeah, yep, big yep. Continental thing on the on the trunk. Part of it is like that's the car that was in France, uh, I guess owned by the uh, the French Connection himself, or somehow playing into his criminal enterprises. So the idea of driving that thing around because it has a French license plate on the mm -hmm. front for the whole movie, the idea of driving that boat around France. <laughs> is hilarious to me like that'd be that'd be awesome like you had like to really want the that car. yeah like you yeah. would have to really want a continental mark three to end up in one in france in the the 70s but somebody did sadly so do you think that this quarantine would be a good opportunity for you to watch breaking bad because it really is very very good uh, it would be if not for the homeschooled seven-year-old that I also have to keep uh, occupied while trying to work full-time and satisfy all my binge-watching uh, needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a complicating factor. We're, uh, we're going through The Sopranos right now. You guys mentioned that before. My wife had never seen it, really. And, you know, that show has some great cars and, like, in very much in the same way that, you know, they kind of signify the characters. At the beginning, you know, Tony's driving around in a suburban, but then once he becomes the boss, he uh, upgrades to an Escalade. Um, and they, they do that a lot in the series. And, and it's fun to kind of watch it through that lens, you know? 
I've only seen a handful of episodes, but I remember the one where Soprano's kid, he's got an Xterra, I think, and he burns it down like in the dry leaves. And then uh-huh. this whole episode about that. And then he ends up getting like an M3, right? I think it's like an M3, like a sweet BMW. Yes. Yeah. That's the lesson that uh, he taught his son, I guess. Right. Right. <laughs> I told you don't park it in dried leaves. And then he gets an M3. Well, so le- lesson not learned. If you park an Xterra in dry leaves, you'll get an M3 is, is what I'm learning from this. And, and one last thing on the cool cars and cool movies, even though we're talking about fools, uh, six underground, the Ryan Reynolds movie on it's either Netflix or Amazon. I'm pretty sure it's free. Uh, a ton of cool cars in there. Like, whoever was doing the car um, casting on that is like amazing. I mean, besides there's like a lime green uh, Alfa Romeo, there's uh, new defenders. There's like a, there's like 50 different cool cars in that movie. It's a ridiculous movie, like on the line of expendables, just like ridiculous, gory soldier military type stuff. But the cars alone make it worth a watch. Is that sponsored by Alfa Romeo? Cause I I've only ever seen the trailers for it. And right. For, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. Too. I thought Alfa Romeo spends more time on screen than any of the characters. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like a full FCA thing, but no, there's like so many cars in that movie that like cool, weird cars that I oh. that I enjoyed. Uh, one last thing about movie TV show cars. If you really want to dive <laughs> deep into the 70s, uh, The Deuce, HBO's The Deuce, uh, prominently features a Superfly Cadillac, uh, which if you've never seen... Uh, the Deuce is kind of a hard watch, but man, is that Cadillac uh, fantastic. 69 Cadillac Fleetwood Eldorado Superfly. Cool car. Cool, you know, cool it's, car. It's funny talking about all these old cars on these old shows, but the thing that really disturbed me in Graham's piece about the Aztec was that uh, the commercial that he's stuck in there from, I think it was 2000. And dear God, does it look dated? <laughs> and someone like me... I, th- I think of 2000 is like, oh, it's just a few years ago. But you watch that commercial and you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, it, it is hilarious. It's so it, it, the, the turnover in commercials is so fast. Yeah. Even, you know, obviously 2000 was 20 years ago now. But you watch something from like 2009 and you're thinking like, Jesus, this is 2000. This is just as bad, almost as bad. Yeah. like it- <laughs> The year 2000 was not 20 years ago. It was five years ago. Thank you very much. It's sad that I was an adult 20 years ago. That makes me sad. But Patrick, you're I mean, saying before. Legally, legally, you were an adult. <laughs> yeah. 20, yeah years not... ago, I was, 20 years ago, I was at Auto Week. That's wow. Impressive. Uh, but now we're all here in Discord living our lives. Patrick, how's the quarantine treating you, bud? You know, it's a little bit uh, rough being in a uh, small apartment, uh, not really able to leave because you're in a, uh, a COVID-19 uh, hotspot here. But, you know, you try and take little walks here and there, uh, go to the other side of the street when you see people approaching. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, just, just kind of make the best of it. One thing that's funny is, you know, they've, all, they've suspended alternate side of the street parking. So you know, all the cars are just sitting in the same place all the time. So like all my kind of like random neighborhood favorites, um, like my ultimate favorite, there's like the Upper East Side Gremlin, which actually has some renown and it's now always on the same spot on 83rd Street. So, you know, I could just kind of like base my walks on what cars I know <laughs> are just stuck in the same place. That's cool. They're, 
Yeah, that that's kind of what the vibe is here. It's it's a little bit apocalyptic. Uh, I I have to ask since we were talking about air quality a little bit ago, the the side effect of no one driving. What's what's the air quality like in New York right now? Is it getting better? I mean, who can tell? We like to pretend it is, and you know, being outside is a lot nicer than being stuck in the apartment. So, ah, maybe it's better. There's <laughs> definitely fewer cars. Definitely. What are you doing to pass the time? Are you watching anything good? Are you uh, keeping up to date with uh, Bravo reality shows? I already know you are. Yeah, it's basically a combination of like one, like going through the Sopranos and then mixed in with that, you know, the, the Shits Creeks, the uh, Better Call Sauls, the reality shows kind of. I feel like you can only have one thing that you're really binging if you're still like watching the things that are normally on. So that's kind of like the pace that we're at. Uh, has anyone else watched something recorded right before all the quarantines and seen and watched in real time how badly things date sometimes? Cause I know I uh, have. Yeah. the commercial I was watching. I have expendables just on my DVR from like a month or two ago. And I was looking through last night, even the commercials, right. Are like, uh, yeah, come on down now to uh, you know Bob, Big Bob's uh, Car Emporium and <laughs> and meet, bring your friends and get some cars. Like all, like every it seems like every commercial now is like COVID related almost. But Patrick, you're keeping sane in New York. You're keeping uh you're keeping safe also. Keeping safe, keeping sane. Um, you know, it's 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 a little rough, but you got to do what you got to do. And talking to you guys feels good too. You know. Even though the connection's not great, I feel a very strong connection. That, that is <laughs> adorable. But with that, I feel it's a good time to move on to something more mobile. Uh, let's go to the racing team. Stay tuned for all the racing information you wanted, even sim racing. And we are back on the racing side. Last week was Hurley Haywood talking to Robin. That was great. Uh, Hurley's not coming back. Not today. Instead, we're back to our regularly scheduled programming. You're here with uh, me. That's Wesley. Still here. Uh, Mike Pryson managed to get on here. I'm, I'm, where am I? I'm not here. Where's here? You're in my computer. Uh, ah, very good. Mr. Mr. Matt Weaver is here. There is a lot of us living vicariously through our computers. The entire world is living through their computer right now, and I think that's what we're going to talk about. I love it. And Robin joined us. Hey, guys. To talk about some racing news. Uh, yeah, racing news. Not a lot of real racing has happened recently for reasons that are clear, but people have been going to iRacing, and people have been putting iRacing on television. What the heck is going on? Yeah, um, it's been it's been an interesting time to be sure. Everyone has to cope with uh, our new world uh, normal in their own ways, and that includes professional race car drivers. So it's been fascinating to get little tidbits from them about how they're adapting and how they're continuing to do the things they need to do to stay in racing shape. Uh, I recently spoke with a professional BMW factory driver. Um, and IMSA racer, John Edwards. And he gave me some really fascinating insights on how he's staying fit and how he's stay keeping his racing skills sharp. The BMW, I will say as much, I've seen the BMW Sim and it is incredible. 
so he's probably no slouch to uh, this whole digital racing world. But what 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 what's he doing? Yeah, it was fascinating because we talked about what level do you go, and I think uh, it's fascinating. So he has used the factory BMW simulator and says it's incredible, but you know also said, look, it's a big and million dollar machine. This is not yeah. something he can have in his house or even get close to affording. So he's. He was in sim racing years ago, but kind of fell out of it because he was doing real driving uh, often enough that he just never felt like it was the best way to use the limited time he had at home. So he bought, uh, so he, he stopped doing any kind of simulation and he had just a simple wheel. But now he's spending like a good 10K on like a proper frame, a proper direct drive steering wheel, metal pedals with good realistic feedback, stuff like that. But critically, he said to me, he's like, no, 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 I'm just going to do a fixed stand. I'm not going to have any actuators or hydraulics to try to simulate movement because he said that stuff until you get to that million dollar factory level simulator that he thinks those hydraulics actually do a little bit more harm than good. When you're a professional race car driver, he says, you know what the physics should feel like and the feedback from the pedals and the wheel are pretty realistic but that the hydraulics, not so much. So it was fascinating to hear that perspective. And I will say to compete, uh, like say the NASCAR way, you need the most expensive simulator possible to win, right, uh, Mike and Matt? Matt, they well, don't, it, do they? <laughs> as it turns out, not so much. Uh, yeah, um, I'm talking about the, the race. Was that Homestead? Uh, Texas last week. Texas. Oh, Texas. Tim, okay. Timmy Hill, Timmy Hill. Mr. NASCAR, Mr. NASCAR iRace. Matt, tell us about Timmy Hill. <laughs> so Timmy Hill is actually kind of the um, the best thing to come out of this whole iRacing project because Timmy Hill is a definition blue-collar, underdog, um, low-budget racer. Um, he runs all three divisions, usually for underfunded race teams, hell of a race car driver just doesn't have any money and he just tries to get to the racetrack and and makes the most out of it. But he's an avid sim racer and he won this race. He, he beat up on, on William Byron, who in addition to being a Hendrick motorsports driver, driving Jeff Gordon, uh, the iconic 24 car, um, and his high price simulation rig, he beat all these guys, the, the, the cream of the crop, with a 12-year-old Logitech wheel that he spent $300 for. And it's a, it's, a, it's attached to his desk, and it's the most low-budget setup possible. And it's proof that, no, you don't need a, a $50,000 rig like Denny Hamlin won with the week before at Virtual Homestead to get the job done. Man, is this more of a – is this more of a – is this sport I, – I, I hate to call it a sport. Is iRacing – Obviously, it's not equipment driven as much as maybe a, a NASCAR race was car driven, but is it experience driven? I mean, we know Timmy Hill, Byron, some of these guys have been doing this their whole lives. Uh, they're all in their 20s. Uh, are these guys that are in their 30s, are the Jimmy Johnsons and Harvicks and these guys in the world at a very big disadvantage because they're not, uh, you know, sitting around, they didn't grow up on iRacing? So there's there's two ways I look at it. You're, you're a baseball guy like I am, Mike. So I'm, I'm going to. Kind of posit it to you this way: um, as baseball has become more analytic driven, more sabermetric minded, you see that players and, and organizations value 
doing the the hand-eye coordination drills on their cell phones as much as doing batting practice. That they, they, they've kind of delved into doing the, the the timing drills are just as valuable as being in the cage. So I do think that there are skill sets from a hand-eye coordination level that that do translate over from eye racing to the real thing. But yes, it is certainly a an experience thing. I, I think it's no surprise to see Kyle Busch and and Jimmy Johnson kind of struggle their way through eye racing. And you have guys like Garrett Smithley and and Timmy Hill show well because they spend a lot of time on the on the server on the system, and experience goes a long way. But I, I'm very quick not to dismiss it as a video game. I know that's kind of the the big debate right now because you got to realize that every single one of these manufacturers, Chevrolet, Ford, Toyota, they have basically the same hardware of iRacing that goes into their simulators and they just kind of soup it up to the hundredth degree because it is so valuable in terms of, you know, break zones, um, hitting your marks. There is so much that goes into being a good iRacer that does translate into being a real good racer. It's just really hard to talk about it because it's not something you can physically see. Now, Matt, you play, you play, Matt, you, you, you know, I, I know you've been on this uh, platform before. Um, I mean, can you be competitive in this format? Um, so here's the thing. I, I don't play it a ton. And it's kind of funny to me because I've kind of become the poster child for pushing this narrative about eSport and, and iRacing. And I've got to be totally honest with everyone. It's a little bit disingenuous on, on my part because I'm not the biggest advocate. I'm not going to go as far as to say, oh, it's a video game. But I'm, I'm someone who's very quick to point out that the top iRacers cannot automatically go into a car and, and be even remotely competitive because anyone who's who's driven a real car will tell you, you got to feel it in your ass. And unless you've got a Ford, Chevrolet, Toyota level um, simulation rig, you're not going to feel it in your ass. That being said, I think this entire thing comes down to we got a lot of free time on our hands and people are not necessarily invested totally in the car. They're invested in personalities. They still want to know what Jimmy Johnson, Kyle Bush, Denny Hamlin, William Morris, right, right. All these guys, what they're doing. But the difference is, and the reason I cite NASCAR guys, they're still on national television and no other esport league right now are airing their races on TV and we can go into the numbers, but this is doing really well for NASCAR and iRacing. And I think it's kind of blown everyone away a little bit. And I think, I think you make a good point, Matt, and I want to expound on that just a little bit. Um, John Edwards, he's going to be using iRacing and he said, you know, it's, it's legit. And he went as far as to say it was the only one that was really legit. iRacing was. And I think that there's a reason to get into this simulation software in terms of like learning the nuances and being competitive on iRacing, but also because we're talking about fundamentals, keeping your eyes ahead, keeping the competition level up, keeping just that sense, keep those parts of your brain active. I think that, uh, iRacing especially will serve that purpose and help the drivers from getting too rusty in general. If you're 33rd, though, in the NASCAR race on iRacing, are you still trying or are you trying to wipe out the guy next to you because there's no fear factor? 
No, I don't. I don't think people. I don't think people realize this. So this thing has been so well received by the NASCAR community that right now the system it can hold more than thirty five, but it's optimized at thirty five drivers. So what's not shown on TV, but it does air on on NASCAR dot com, is there is a race on Sunday at Virtual Texas with twenty drivers trying to race their way into the field. Because the way they've got it set up is all the the full time Cup Series drivers receive an automatic provisional into the field, so that leaves about six or seven spots, depending on the race weekend, where the guys who run Xfinity, Trucks, ARCA, other divisions, they've got to race their way in against twenty other sim racers. So if you're finishing inside the main event, you're either a full time Cup Series driver or you're someone who had to race his way in. So obviously, Jimmy Johnson, not intentionally, Jimmy Johnson is trying to wreck the field, but only because he has one month of experience on iRacing. But generally, (laughs) everyone is really good, and they had to race their way in. I mean, Jimmy spent the first race spinning. I mean, he had three or four, I thought, that uh, you know he he lost it out there. And I'm curious what the fans think. I mean, do they want Timmy Hill to be a star of this thing, or do do they want – you know, Kyle Busch and Jimmy Johnson running at the front every week. I think that this is a great opportunity for, and I talked to Mike Joy about this yesterday, earlier in the week, depending on when you listen to this this deal. But I talked to Mike Joy about it, and Mike Joy was so happy as, as a broadcaster to talk about Timmy Hill and Garrett Smithley because – this is these are guys that they wish they could talk about on on Saturdays and Sundays and they just don't. And yeah, once the real world returns to normal, um, you know, we're going to go back to talking about the top guys, but if you're one of the million or so people watching these broadcasts, now you know. And I think that makes for a more educated fan. I think it makes for um, a better product when you know the trials and tribulations of everyone throughout the field. And even though Timmy Hill will never, and you know, mark my words, he will never be a cup series winner and not because he, he's not talented, but he's not affluent enough. He's not, he's not rich enough to be, but this is a great opportunity just to let people know who he and Garrett Smithley are. And that's a great thing. Oh my God. He, he's going to get some sponsorships out of this because he can walk into a sponsor. Now people know who he is. He's got a following. I'm sure his uh, social following has got to be going through the roof from where it was. This is great for Timmy Hill. And by the way, speaking of uh, Jimmy Johnson, did you guys see that he made his virtual IndyCar debut on Saturday? (laughs) (laughs) I got to get excited about a virtual IndyCar debut. This is great, man. I love it. But but no, here's the deal. So so Jimmy, (laughs) Jimmy is going to make his IndyCar debut this year, you know, God willing, if if we can get racing resumed on time, Jimmy Johnson is widely believed to be putting together a deal to, to run the, the double at the, um, the Indianapolis motor speedway, the IndyCar race on July four. And of course the cup series race on July 5th. I don't think we're racing that early, but uh, it would be great if it it happens. It would be great. But Matt, going back a little bit, uh, you mentioned millions of people are watching this. And that is not hyperbole. That's not a number pulled out of your butt. That's, those are real numbers. You guys got the numbers today, and uh, the amount of people watching this is staggering. Yeah, the thing that really stood out to me is like 36% of the average audience from last year's Texas Cup race 
tuned in to the Texas iRace. And again, I want to preface everything we say about this, that that's more of an indication of the current state of affairs rather than, you know, the iRacing product itself or the Fox broadcast. I think people are so hungry for, for sports. And listen, I, I, I said this a month ago, that I'm not sure anyone wants to watch Bryce Harper and, and Mike Trout mash buttons on national television. Uh, ESPN is putting together an NBA 2K tournament with NBA players pl- literally playing a video game. Yep, At I'm least, excited for that, by the way. I, <laughs> I think I that's going to be fun. But you, we all know that the the input is not the same as passing a ball. Oh, no. And say what you will about eSport and, and iRacing, that there's still pedals, there's still a steering wheel, and depending on what kind of rig you have, there's still motion. So it's just a, it's, a, it's an experience that NASCAR, IndyCar, IMSA, Formula One, they're all very fortunate to have, and NASCAR has done the best job of taking advantage of it. Yeah, um, what, what's that Nintendo system where you're actually, you know, pretend swinging a racket and uh, that kind of thing. And maybe they can use that. That was, that was the Wii. That's, Wii. That's a little old. The Wii. There you go. No, no. Hey, my kid just I'm, bought hey, one today. I'm a little old, so it's all my, good. My, my kid bought a used Wii today for 25 bucks. We're going to have a Wii championship here this week. It's going to be awesome. Hey, I'm a big fan of the Wii. Don't get me wrong. It's just old. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but let's, let's – we, we've all watched these, and as fans of sport, motorsport – uh, I have to say, personally, I think NASCAR is knocking this out of the park. The only, I haven't watched IndyCar, but the well, F1 the F one races are great. Sebring was, you know, a little odd, I felt, because they didn't, they acted like it was real racing, which is unsettling. But uh, NASCAR is kicking it, kicking it hard. What well, do you guys think? It, it helps, it helps Matt, Matt can talk about this because he's talked with some of those guys, but it helps when you've got FS1 as opposed to just watching it on YouTube. Uh, there's just uh, and and they've got the, a lot more resources put behind it. So I think it's going to be a, I'm not a even better talking production. About, I'm not talking about that so much. It's just like the, 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 the commentators, the actors that are yeah. you know talking, I think, I think they're doing such a good job and the way they're approaching it. And Matt, you got to be impressed by the buy-in of the drivers. I mean, they're all showing up for this thing. F1 tried this, and only two guys showed up. I mean, uh, they only had two F1 drivers interested in doing it. Uh, well, IndyCar that, that, had a pretty good feel, but NASCAR's got their guys coming out. Like Matt said, there's there's 30 guys trying to race their way into this race. You know, that are that are true NASCAR drivers. Matt, I will say, uh, Mike, excuse me, I will say this much: the the problem with the F1 race, right, is they're using the Codemasters F1 game, which is less of a simulation than iRacing. I'm a fan of it, but it's it's not quite as accurate as, say, iRacing would be to the physics of the I car. wish Codemasters would build every single console video game. At the end of the day, it's still a console video game, but man, they are the best. In terms of console games, I agree. I, I like F1 2019, but uh, I don't think the drivers like it because it, it, you have to get used to the way the cars act in that game opposed to whereas iRacing is more authentic to the way cars act. I believe that was the complaint that I was that I read. Yeah, and to the point that you and, and Mike were making earlier, I think it, it goes beyond just having a TV partner, um, and certainly having the drivers buy in. I mean, listen, you, you've got a win here for everyone because you've got sponsors who are who are now getting exposure to a million plus people, um, and, and that's not valueless. I mean, right now, 
they need to stay relevant. But I think the, the best part about this has been that Mike Joy, Jeff Gordon, Larry McReynolds, they have struck, in my opinion, the last two weeks, the perfect tonal balance between treating this like it's something that matters because it is a competition, but also acknowledging the absurdity that, frankly, they're calling an iRace like it's the real deal. And I think it's been such a hard thing to kind of find the perfect balance for. And it just goes to show you how much of a professional that that Mike Joy is. And for, for Mike, who's covered NASCAR for 20 years, he was a Formula One broadcaster. I can't imagine any universe where he thought he would be a weekly iRacing <laughs> broadcaster. Um. Before we move on to the real racing thing, I want to do another plug. Well, later in the show, there's going to be a plug for the Work From Home Cup, where you can watch me, Jake Lingeman, and some folks from Road and & Track and Car and & Driver duke it out in Forza. Uh, that's not a simulation at all. We're driving like monsters, but it is a lot of fun. Uh, and another thing, if you want to put an AutoWeek logo on your car digitally, I don't see a problem with that. So think about it. I got a question on that front though. So I've been watching you guys do this. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm a Sony PlayStation guy. Are we going to, to switch platforms at some point to kind of open up a wider group of competitors? As much as I want to, I don't think it's up to me. But your, your PlayStation guy, we'll talk offline. We're, we'll, let's do some racing. Uh, just you, me, and Lingaman. Lingaman's also a PlayStation guy. But, uh, <laughs> The real world, the cars are things are still happening in the real world. Uh, Matt, I believe there's some NASCAR news, IRL, some some real life NASCAR news. What's going on in NASCAR? You know, it's it's fascinating because like I thought things would be kind of slow, kind of a struggle to 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 find content. And and listen, the day is coming. I, I'm convinced that this thing could last for much longer yet. But so far, we've had no shortage of things to talk about, whether it's the schedules or, you know, the development of certain cars. Formula One pushed their new car back to 2022, and it looks like NASCAR might be forced to do the same thing. Uh, NASCAR was supposed to unveil their next generation car um, at the Detroit Auto Show, and as we all know, um, that's been shelved. It's being turned into a, um, a field hospital. And, uh, spoiler, we talk about that later in the show, but continue. Okay. Um, <laughs> but no, the, 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 gen, the Gen 7, the next gen car, was supposed to be uncovered there, but it's not totally a finished product yet. The way it, w- it was explained to us is about 95% done, and they were supposed to test the car from April till August, and now that's been shut down. So this week, NASCAR has had several phone calls with the the three manufacturers, um, the Race Team Alliance. And as of this recording, they have yet to come to a conclusion because there are two different camps. There are one side that says, we've got a car, we've got a good product right now. Let's Let's just use what we have next year and we'll push everything back a year like like Formula One did. The other camp says... This new car is supposed to be so, relatively speaking, inexpensive compared to the current car that if the economy takes a dive like it could when this is all said and done, that some of the smaller teams want to get to this new car as quickly as possible because 
for all intents and purposes, this is a spec car. It's a spec body, a single supplier chassis, and we're using the same engines from before. So everyone wants to get to a single supplier world because they don't want to go back to the wind tunnel. They don't want to go back to R&D. And it's not clear right now when we're recording this, which side is going to win. So um, stay tuned. Stay tuned Auto Week. Matt, is this going to be carved tomorrow too? I mean, is it going to be that kind of a spec deal where we're not going to be able to tell the difference between the cars again? I'll tell you this. The, the car of tomorrow, despite having the you know the the common template body that was not a spec car at all you had every single team manufacturing their own chassis their own every single part underneath that body the engine uh, was all individually outsourced to a, a supplier this this new car despite having um, individual body designs for each manufacturer and of course the the engine is different from each manufacturer everything else is going to be single supplier teams are not going to be manufacturing their own their own parts and pieces it's, it's going to be very similar to to indycar where to my knowledge the damper program is the most open thing available to teams and i'm not sure what nascar is going to leave open for for teams with the next gen but this is truly a spec car in ways the car of tomorrow wasn't even close to being I have to say this really fast, Matt. If teams are uh, and the sanctioning body are concerned with price, why not try? I want ten percent of this idea first and foremost. The car of yesterday. Let's make everybody race vintage. Uh, the cars are cheaper. You you can pick the vintage. Uh, so it's up to the team's discretion, and then everybody saves a little money, and we watch uh, the most diverse field of NASCAR ever. So I, I think this is more likely. I don't know if you guys remember the. 2007 NASCAR season, but that was the year the car of tomorrow made its debut and they raced it with half the season. So you had half the schedule with the old fourth generation car. And then you had half the schedule with the fifth generation car of tomorrow. And it was just, it was weird. It was disjointed, but I think NASCAR is, is so adamant that they get this car on the track as soon as possible that it would not be a huge shock if you had a very similar setup where you've got the Gen 6 in half the races and the, the next Gen in the other half in the entire playoffs. You know, we talked about disjointed. Uh, Matt, I like that word because that's kind of what we're looking at this year for racing in general. I mean, we have no idea when we're going to start these seasons. Uh, looking at the NASCAR season, there's still a – I mean, technically, they're still looking at Martinsville on May 9th, but that's not happening. Um, you know, we talked about the Michigan race uh, is actually a week before they were going to open up the auto show in Detroit, which has already been canceled, which you guys are going to talk about in the next segment. Um, man, I mean, I don't know what you're hearing, but I mean, I can't see any racing before July. I mean, and that's and that's and I don't even see that happening. What, what's your take? So my take has always been, I'm not a virologist. I can't sit here and break down what the virus that the, the experts say they don't really have a, a good grasp on what it is yet will do. But I, I do feel pretty confident that all of these different sanctioning bodies will do everything they can to get 
most of their races in if we can get some semblance of racing done by summer. And if that means running races in front of empty stands, especially for NASCAR, so be it. Because if they run all 36 races, they're getting paid for it. Yeah, and I'm real curious. All these, tracks, all these tracks, they turn a profit regardless of whether one fan comes through the stands. So that that's a, a safety net that NASCAR has. F1 has already kind of indicated they're willing to race into January, February. Um, if they can get racing started by summer, I think you can kind of run many of your northern tracks during the summer months. You're already running your, your season-ending races down south, out in the, the southwest anyway. And I would not be surprised to see them follow suit too, running races into to December and January because you have that flexibility being able to run places like uh, Phoenix and Homestead and Daytona, um, Atlanta. You, you've got some flexibility there, but I think they are very adamant to get from a NASCAR standpoint, 36 races in. Same thing with IndyCar. IndyCar had previously canceled St. Petersburg. Now that's their provisional season-ending race, and they could do St. Petersburg January 5th if they wanted to because it's still warm enough. That's going to be a challenge. Uh, I, I understand the idea of running into, you know, maybe into the next year and all that, but now you've eliminated the offseason completely. And it's got to be a lot of buy-in for something like that to happen. Um, it's going to take a lot of buy-in not to run races because then teams aren't getting paid money. So no, teams get, are going to be more than willing to run into January, February because it I, gets them that paycheck. Yeah, That's exactly you, you, right. And I think, you know, Formula One's already addressed that with their summer break, and I'm using air quotes here, is happening right now. March and April is their break. This is basically getting two off-seasons in a row. So if you don't get much of one next year, I think most teams will adapt to that with little trouble. Oh, and don't forget the old IRL, their schedule actually ran from from May to like February anyway. Oh no, you can do it. Yeah, you could do that. That's that's perfectly possible. You mentioned uh, you know, maybe racing in front of uh, no crowd. I mean, that can't happen at Michigan right now because the governor is saying we can't have groups of 10, you know, 10 or more people together, and that's, you know, one race team is going to, you know, violate that. So that's not happening. I don't know. I just uh I think we're you know, very ambitious about getting the season even going into the summer. I, I, I hope I'm wrong, but uh, I just can't imagine uh, them racing in, in Michigan, even in August, if there's a, if there's still a hospital set up at, uh, you know, Cobo Hall, or now it's what the TDF uh, arena, which is literally, which is literally, yeah, literally a quarter mile away from GM's headquarters. Can you imagine the optics, optics if they're racing? And meanwhile, you know, the network is showing, you know, shots of what's going on back at GM headquarters while we're racing at Michigan, you know, 60 miles away. I just don't think that's going to happen. The thing is, is it's, it's, it's early April. That's so far out. And I, I just think it's terrible PR to say, yeah, we're giving up on the season. So like nobody well, can. I mean, I mean, right now, I mean, the president's got us going through May. We can't even, we can't even go to the, you know, they can't even go to the shops before May. Um, it's going to be interesting, man. I'm going to, I'm going to, I guess and maybe I'm pessimistic, but maybe I'm realistic too. We'll see. No, Bryson, Bryson, I'm with you. I think that it's smart, shorter, and I mean this is this these kind of pandemics. It, they're kind of like earthquakes. You have the main thing, but you have after too. And Lord knows how all this stuff's going to play out and when. 
it's a much safer bet to assume it's going to be longer than shorter at this moment because we don't know much. No, we don't know. I think this, this is the most important takeaway, though, and it's why I'm always quick just to say we don't know what we don't know. Um, I think that every single one of these sanctioning bodies, and I, I know this for a fact just from talking to them, they've, they've got a contingency plan for every scenario. And there will come a point as we get later into the summer, if it, if it plays out that way, to where there is no longer a contingency plan. But every single one of these, these sanctioning bodies, they have one where they start back up in May, June, July, August, September. And they've got nothing but time to kind of put together what the schedule would be like in each of these scenarios. They're already having the conversations with the tracks and the teams like I said earlier in the show, several phone calls have taken place this week. And so they are coming up with plans that we won't even know about because that scenario didn't play itself out. And, you know, I, I know it looks dire. It looks bleak. But they can't sit on their thumbs and just say, well, we don't know what's going to happen. So we can't come up with a plan. And with that, I have to say we're going to sit. We're going to see. and We're going to wait to find out how this all shakes out. One of us will be right. Hopefully someone is right. Hopefully we return to some some of normalcy. Uh, but until then, stay tuned for the news. And we're back. You're here with me, Wesley Still. Mr. Wes Reynolds uh, somewhere. Hello. Jake Lingaman's calling in. From my bar. Uh, and Graham Kozak is joining us. Hey. And we are talking about the news. A lot of news going on. Uh, some of it good. Some of it interesting. A lot of it fascinating. Uh, let's start with the, the elephant in the room, right? The Detroit Auto Show. Big for 2020. All new. June. Outdoors. Canceled. Mr. Raynal. Uh Yes, indeed, canceled. They are going to take over Cobo Hall and turn it, turn it into a medical facility. And I guess the reasoning was, even if, even if the thing ended in a timely manner, the, the thing being the, the pandemic ended in some kind of timely fashion, converting that back to an auto show was just impossible. And then... Also, uh, there was really no time on the calendar to do a uh, fall show. So they just bagged it for the year and are going to come back next year. The good news is uh, they did say that they are going to try to raise money for the charities that they normally support anyway through some other way of doing that. So that's that's you know, sort of the bright side, I guess. Um, so, yeah, what I read something that said, um, by the time we have it in June of 2021, it'll be like 800 and some days since Detroit has had an auto show. Yeah. Well, I, I suspect the sun will keep rising. Through it all. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Well, actually I, I, that's Graham's little sarcasm, but he's, he's right in the fact that, you know, it's less of a story now than it was even three or four years ago because no one's going to these things anyway. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's patently false. The attendance numbers are extremely high, uh, but it's meant, less important. I meant in terms of automakers. Right. From a, you know, news breaking reveal thing. Um, 
yeah, I mean, you're not exactly waiting on <laughs> most <Lee> auto shows. <laughs> that was pretty good. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, so anyway, I, I think it's worth noting that, you know, as Reynolds said, that the show, TCF Center, formerly Cobo Hall, will be tied up for at least six months as a hospital. And then by the time that rolls around, other events like the New York show uh, have been pushed into that season. And then you're kind of at the start of the auto show season anyway. So, you know, you have LA coming up and at that point. Um, but it's interesting to note that the the Javits Center, where the New York show is held, is also being converted into a, a field hospital. So, I mean, we'll see. Um, will that happen in L.A.? I mean, it wouldn't be entirely surprising. Um, it, you know, it's a big open space. They needed to put, you know, hospital beds, basically. L.A. is November, correct? That's a long time away. We're still needing uh, Kobo-sized hospital rooms. Well, I mean, but there's there's a... Uh, there's a, a big lag there. I mean, if they they put six months on there, uh, hopefully it, the uh, TCF center won't be needed for six months. But I mean, you can't. You kind of have to take them at their word if they say they need that much time, and it takes months to set up the shows. Um, I don't know a November show. It might be a little bit tricky depending on how long they need that's it for. True, that's true. So. It, do, it does take yeah a couple of months to set up the shows and and millions and millions of dollars. I did hear from uh, one of the automakers. I don't remember which one at this point that they said yeah it's not auto shows are now less for journalists and news breaking than for the people who actually buy cars. It was some crazy stat like seventy five percent of the people that go to auto shows are like in the market for a new car. So that's what they're well. I mean, the reality is as important as we like to think we are. It, it's always been for the people buying the cars. the The fact that they can use it to to break news is is a nice bonus, uh, and it certainly gives us stuff to write about. But I mean, it's an auto show. People go there to to look at cars to buy. And I mean, since the dawn of the auto show, that's you know, it's kind of been the point. So, well, that's interesting that you bring that part up because of, I mean, the thing was invented for that very purpose. And, you know, and it was in January because the dealers all complained that there was no showroom traffic in the winter. So they said, let's do a show in the winter and put all the cars in one spot. And that's how the thing was formed. It's all, but, but it is true that Detroit is one of the few shows that all through these years remained a, primarily a dealer show. A lot of the other ones uh, kind of flipped over to a manufacturer to show where in Detroit you can actually buy a car. You can't always buy a car at all of these international shows. I smell a story idea. Let's buy a car at the auto show when it happens in 2021. Let's all pool our money together and buy a car. Well, by then it could just maybe it'll just be all online. Um, a couple of things. One, we're still waiting word to see if the Belle Isle duel in Detroit is going to happen because that would be odd to have a race right around the time or before. I believe it was before it was the actually auto show. Before, a week yeah. before. So that, that'll be odd to see if that's still on. And two. Uh, but again, Ren, the, the reason that the, the show is, you know, they definitely put the canceled rather than the, the postponed yeah. language that everybody's kind of been dancing with is because of this hospital thing. Yeah. I mean, when FEMA says, we need your venue for six months. I, I don't know if you can really say like, well, okay, before. yeah, so <laughs> no, thank you. that, that part of it's, you know, I mean, again, who knows what, what the state of racing will be um, 
in June, but I think that's a, a separate discussion. You know, it's the reason that the auto show has been uh, canceled is fundamentally, from what I can tell, the fact that the, it's being repurposed as a hospital. Um, well, a then a better example would be Le Mans, which is also after, is also canceled. So there's a racing venue that bagged it, and that's two weeks after the Detroit Grand Prix or a week after the Detroit Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. I think the chances of the Detroit Grand Prix happening are pretty grim. Uh, Agreed. But, I mean, it wouldn't actually shock me if, by the time this all shakes out, the sanctioning bodies just aren't doing any races this year. Man, uh, that'd be that'd be crazy. That's so much so much money lost. Yep. Uh, one one thing before I jump to another topic, you can watch racing every Friday on Twitch uh, at the Work From Home Cup. Support Auto Week, uh, racing their hearts out. But Paris, it's as real as it gets these days. <laughs> I got to <laughs> tell you, it's pretty entertaining. I want to come over to Lingaman's house and do one of the heats. You got to stay six feet away, but um, we can do that. Paris is also closed. Well, the not closed. Paris is open, I believe, but the auto show is canceled for this year. Yeah, L.A. could be the only if if L.A. happens. L.A. and Chicago could be the only shows this year. That's uh, wild. Chicago, Chicago lucked out and got the one good auto show. Well, and think about Detroit. If they hadn't switched to June, they could have had one this year. That's yeah, true. they if could they have did, two next year. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so uh, Paris is gone. Season. <laughs> Paris is one of those shows that alternates with Frankfurt. Uh, well, it's I not Frankfurt it. anymore either. There's a lot of auto show news. Well, that's true. It's it's Munich now, I guess. Right? Didn't Munich yeah. win that bid? So yeah. So there's no effectively no European shows any of any size this year because they didn't do Geneva either. Obviously, they so. The digital Geneva, which I enjoy personally. I thought it went great. I don't know why the Detroit automakers or the Detroit auto show people don't try to pull something like that together. Maybe they are, and we just don't know it yet. Yeah, yeah they still knows. might, it seems like. Well, and that's what Paris has been saying. You know, we're partially canceling it. It will happen in a, as of yet, undisclosed format. I don't know if that means uh, it'll just be like a... Uh, improv thing taking place on the streets of Paris, or if it's going to be a digital show, um, who knows? Who knows? We're going to find out sooner than later, I imagine. We'll mind uh, the whole thing. There won't actually be any cars <laughs> or crowds, but... <laughs> I would, well, I I would mean, pay Wesley good money for good, that. Wesley made a good point. I thought that, or Graham or whoever said it, I thought that was a good way to do Geneva. I mean... All the and I actually think they put those uh, videos up in the order of the press conferences, which I they thought did. was pretty cool. You know, and it's it's so it puts a little pressure automaker to to have to scramble to put it in, you know, to put something together in the at in the home office. But on the other hand, for Paris, if you told them that now, they could do it and save just a ton of money and have plenty of time to prepare a video of their launch. Well, and from from our point of view, I mean, we always say we can cover it. We can usually cover it better from the office than from the show floor anyway, because there's so much stuff going on. So like, yeah, with, with Geneva, I mean, it was just like, boom, boom, boom. All the reveals just came out on YouTube and we could cover them all without uh, having to fly to Switzerland. Yeah, I would I don't say what a tragedy that would have been. <laughs> I, don't think our I don't think our coverage lacked anything, really. No, me neither. I will say 
just in terms of that, I don't know how responsive dealer associations and automakers would be because, I mean, that's still not foot traffic to the cars, right? Because again, as Graham pointed out earlier, this is a consumered thing. So who knows? Who knows? Uh, I know one thing. Graham and Mr. Raynal wrote a fantastic story about the uh, endeavor that domestic automakers, domestic being a mostly super domestic, the Detroit, the Detroit big couple, big handful, about three, I think they are, are uh, pivoting. They're making something other than cars now. What the heck's going on? So we've been we've been following this story for a couple of weeks now and updating it um, almost daily. But you know, we we took a look at what uh, again, as as Wesley said, kind of the I guess we'd call them the Detroit Three plus Tesla. Um, they're certainly not the only automakers uh, globally or even domestically who are um, kind of pivoting to um, I don't know what you'd call it uh, crisis related equipment production. Um, everybody from yeah. NHRA teams to, you know, Kia, Toyota, they're all kind of getting on board, but we, we kind of focused on the, the ones that were more or less local to us. Um, and I don't know, we, we've seen in the past couple of days, especially, uh, you know, Ford just yesterday, we're recording this on Tuesday. So this would have been on March 30th said that they're teaming up with GE health to make, um, 50,000, uh, hospital ventilators within a hundred days. Uh, GM is doing the same thing. Uh, they're also making masks. Uh, let's see, you know, FCA is making masks and distributing meals to school children. Uh, Tesla, you know, for all the bluster of Musk, he's been scooping up ventilators and flying them around, uh, delivering them to, to places that need them. So, um, even Scuderia Cameron Clickenhaus in New York is trying to figure out how they can repurpose existing materials and kind of a Apollo 13 effort to, to cobble together masks, uh, where they're scarce. So I don't know, we've seen, uh, I think what a lot of people were hoping to see, which was a, a response from these big companies to somehow get involved. Uh, I think there's a lot of arsenal of democracy resonance there. And I, maybe, uh, Raynal, you can give me your thoughts on it, but, uh, it, they're moving pretty fast. I mean, it might seem kind of glacial, uh, looking at it at daily hourly, but I don't, I don't know. These are giant companies and they're, they're moving pretty quick. Well, I agree. I agree with you. I think it's happening at a pretty rapid pace. Uh, and it's costing these companies a lot of money to, to put this together. Um, and I think they've stepped up. I think they should be proud of themselves, uh, especially Ford GM and FCA in particular, and then even all the companies that are just throw, do, donating money or donating food or donating vehicles. I, I really think it's, you know, the automakers, especially Ford and GM, I got to say, they have a history of stepping up and helping people when people need helping. You know, the GM, GM designed that in the 50s with, uh, with um, the doctor's I think I don't remember what hospital chain it was, um, but in the fifties, oh, it was at Harper's, uh, Harper Hospital. They did a they did a you know an artificial heart in the fifties, and GM stepped up and helped with that. And you know Ford, of course, built Willow Run to build fighter jets for World War II, and 
I, I think they've, you know, the, the history is when something needs, when people need help, automakers and, and their suppliers and unions and, you know, employees step it up. Yeah, two things. I was reading an article about a, a doctor was talking about how the, you know, the virus is growing exponentially or logarithmically, but as that happens, our response to it grows in the same way. I mean, now, you know, this week and over the weekend, I'm reading about thousand ventilators are being built, 50 million masks are being built. This is being built. So hopefully, you know, we can, we can meet this thing, you know, head on. And uh, even was it this morning, I saw that New York had a little bit less cases than yesterday. So it seems to be working if slowly. And, uh, you know, I think this is one of the, I think our readers are a little bit more um, and listeners are a little bit uh, wiser to this, but and I'm not, I'm not trying to carry water for, for anybody here, but, uh, people compare this to, oh, you know, why can't we do this faster? You know, they were making a bomber a day, uh, at Willow Run, you know, blah, blah, blah. All the, you know, again, like I said, I, I, I've never seen companies be able, these companies, uh, move this quickly on stuff like this. And the, the scale we saw at the end of World War II, where they were making staggering amounts of, weapons and, and vehicles uh, was after years of tooling up before Pearl Harbor, you know? So the fact that they've been able to do this as quickly as they have within a span of weeks, really, once they kind of got when to you think ahead. about it, you know, GM, in a statement, GM said that they can, they hope to deliver the first ventilators in April. So that's two weeks because it started about a week ago or two weeks ago. And listeners right now are listening in April. Oh, yeah. Happy April. We made it. Oh, yeah, that's right. We did. No, it's the 31st. But by the time they're listening to this, they'll have made it. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> Heck, they could, they could be listening in May, June, July, December. Who knows? Well, we'll sound pretty stupid if this whole thing is over by the time they're listening to it in December. <laughs> I'd be happy, happy if it was. So I, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Again, uh, so far, looks good. It seems like they've stepped up. We're finally seeing a lot of these technologies that have been talked about for as long as I've been conscious, like 3D printing. Um, I mean, they've been used in prototyping and stuff, but this could be their time to shine. Um, so we'll see. Uh, but so far, pretty impressive. Obviously, uh, as Ren said, we've uh, Raynal and I have kind of been keeping tabs on it. Uh, so it's worth checking the story we posted for updates because stuff is moving pretty fast. And obviously once these uh, first machines start showing up, I'm sure we'll, we'll hear about it and we'll report on that. So. Yeah. Well, perfect. Uh, we're going to keep, we're going to keep track of that and we're just going to keep moving forward, but we're moving forward to the show as well. Stay tuned for cars. And we are back to close out the show with some important messages about Cars! We've been driving some cars. We've been looking at cars. It's There's still cars out there. But more importantly, you're here to listen about cars with the great Mark Vaughn. Hi, welcome. Welcome, everybody, to the last section of this fabulous podcast. The legendary Mr. Wes Raynal. From my dining room. And Jake. From my kid's bedroom. Anyway, also here with Wesley. 
let's kick this car talk off. I can't legally say that. Let's kick this car segment off uh, with a little news from Mark's drive of a Bentley Bentayga. First, Mark, what is a Bentley Bentayga? Uh, it's a, it's a, a large mammal, a seagoing mammal that uh, filter feeds uh, on plankton. It's endangered, so please don't. Oh, wait, sorry. I, I got that wrong. It also the Bentayga, children. The Bentayga is the, of course, the uh, large, uh, enormous uh, Bentley SUV. And uh, the one that I got was the Bentega Speed, by golly. Uh, so that was that is uh, uh, an even better version of it. It uh, is powered by a W12 engine, a magnificent thing. If, uh, if you've ever, just Google a W12 and uh, look at that in wonder. Uh, we were talking, uh, Raynal and I were talking a little earlier. Uh, we both remember the, when the VR6 came out from Volkswagen. And uh, you remember that, right, Raynal? Yes, sir. It was in a in the Auto Week uh, press fleet in Detroit in uh, 1989. There it was, was a one. purple was a... Volkswagen Corrado. Corrado. That's when you could legally paint cars purple. That was before was, that. You know, that was one of my favorite long-term cars to this day. I remember I drove that car to the New York Auto Show, the Chicago Auto Show. I drove that thing all over Hell's Half Acre. And Vaughn's about to tell you why. Well, uh, we didn't want him in the office, so we put him in the garage. <laughs> no, I'm talking about the beautiful engine. <laughs> oh, right, right. The purple color. Yeah, that was that must have been a, a hit with the truckers on that open road. That purple Didn't they put that VR6 in a Jetta at one point, too? I feel like one of my sister's friends had a stick shift Jetta with the VR6. They yep. put it in everything. It was, yeah. it was a great yeah. engine. It was so – it had such a wide – uh, torque band and power band. It, uh, it, was, it was almost like an electric motor. It was. Uh, they put it in the Eurovan for a minute. I've got, a, I've got it in my Eurovan right now. And in fact, earlier we tried doing this podcast with me broadcasting from the Eurovan. <laughs> and uh, it no just dice. wasn't working. I was far away from what, what do you call it? The, the sender, the, the router. router? The router thing, yeah. With- You're doing it again, though, now. They're controlling my life with it. They're doing what again? You're you're fine. You're fine. Okay, never mind. Anyway, okay. So, so what the W12 is is it takes that VR6 basically. I mean, I've just a vast oversimplification. It takes two VR6s and um, casts them together or bolts them together, and that is the engine that is powering this uh, magnificent beast, the Bentega Speed. the The reason you need that much power, well, I mean. You ever really need that much power? Yes, I think you do. Uh, is the the Ventega the the curb weight that I got for it you know, is five thousand three hundred and seventy nine pounds? Um, I'm assuming that that's accurate an accurate figure, uh, but that's a lot of weight. So um, you figure uh, a Caterham weighs two thousand pounds, and so this is like two and a half Caterhams, maybe no, it's two. Yeah, maybe two and a half Caterhams. Anyway, uh, so it's a heavy it's a heavy object and uh, that mass is overcome by two wonderful systems. The first one being the W12 engine, which has such a broad uh, torque and power band or bands that uh, it, it just it addresses that mass however and whenever you want to address it. So you step on the gas anywhere and that thing just springs off and, and shoots down the road. 
uh, it does that very, very impressively. So, you know, you could say that alone is worth the uh, $273,760 sticker price Ooh. that uh, was my car. Of course, you can get into uh, a Bentega for $238,425 this week and this week only if you come down to Ren's Auto Rex. <laughs> Uh, I believe I believe it's actually Ren's Luxury Autos. Uh, Ren's Auto Rex is a used car lot right next to it. <laughs> uh, how much does that car weigh? The Bentega Speed. Two and a half Five caterums. Five thousand three hundred seventy-nine pounds. I bet it's higher than that. Uh, it probably is. Uh, that's well, with Mark in there, you know, it adds a couple hundred pounds. Uh, it, it adds a hundred and uh, <clears throat> pounds. Right. So. Ah, those costs. I, uh, but I but Mark, I out there for a second. Uh, Mark, what was this thing like to drive? I mean, I've driven my fair share of Bentegas, which is an odd sentence to say. But uh, does the speed really add the extra visceral punch you need from a from a luxury Bentley crossover SUV? Oh heck yeah! It's it's amazing to the extent that anybody needs to have. Um, I'm looking up the exact horsepower, 626 horsepower and 660, 664 pound-feet of torque. To the extent that anybody needs that much, yes, it is It is definitely necessary. Uh, it, it cancels out the weight, uh, the curb weight of that thing. And the other, there's another system on this car that also cancels out the curb weight. If normally, if you take anything that weighs that much and you go around a corner, it flops over on the door handles and scrapes along and straight again. But this thing, due to being part of the big uh, arch-sharing uh, cabal that is uh, Volkswagen, they get active anti-roll bars. And so it's powered by the 48-volt system. And the roll bar, instead of just, as it has been for time immemorial, a passive thing, you know, where it's just a bar and it kind of, you know, and it tweaks if, it a little bit. If you're lucky, you get one. Yeah, and sometimes you get one in the front or the back and not both ends. But this has it on both ends, of course, and it's um, it, it's active. So as you start to go around a corner, the active roll bar right in the middle, this little electric thing goes, and it cranks it up. And it keeps it essentially keeps the car from uh, rolling. I, I think that there's some perceptible roll on it. It's like when you drive an AMG, they also have active roll bars anti-roll bars on the AMD and that just seems that seems so severe that it comes across almost as artificial this is far less artificial but is no less effective at producing this upright posture through turns it's uh, very impressive so with the W12 engine and the active anti-roll bars those two things alone are worth the $273,000 this car I <laughs> so would. you said you said it's 0 to 60 in 3.9 seconds right earlier yeah, three point nine seconds. Uh, that's that's one tenth quicker than the regular W twelve powered Bentayga. So uh, uh, it's um, it's. Do you need to be one tenth quicker than your neighbor who yes. thought he was so bad with his W twelve powered Bentayga? Yes, you do. So you know you challenge him to a drag race there on your closed uh, gated community, and uh, you will beat him. Top speed in this thing is 190 miles per hour. Don't try that in your gated community, or the homeowners association may have something to say about it. But uh, I mean, 3.9 seconds, that's like Corvette speed a couple of years ago, or 10 years ago, or something that's like that. That's like supercar speed. I mean, 
I I was testing cars for AutoWeek for 30 years, and uh, it wasn't until I remember the first thing that got into the threes was uh, a Porsche Turbo. That was a while ago, and now it seems everything's in the threes. Well, not everything, but you know, it's it's almost commonplace for cars up at this end of the stratosphere to uh, to be able to get into the threes. So 3.9 seconds, especially for an SUV, is uh, I think is very uh, unnatural is the word I would use. <laughs> now, now, Mark, uh, uh, observant listeners, because that's a that's a word I just uh, used. Uh, we'll notice. We'll remember. Last week, you talked about another four door Bentley, the Flying Spur. Which one of these two Bentleys would you want to take home? Do you want the Bentayga Speed, the, the upright crossover guy, or the Flying Spur? The, the Flying Spur, no question. All right, yeah. that was easy. Although I will say. That uh, the Bentega does have the uh, practicality of an SUV. You know, the middle of the U stands for utility, and in a um, in an act of flagrant blasphemy, I took the Bentega to Home Depot and uh, filled it up with lumber and and drove the stuff home. It, it uh, the back seats fold down, and you get sixty two point six cubic feet of cargo space back there. And by golly, it does have utility. But uh, you know, if if I were in this part of the market, <laughs> I would buy the uh, Flying Spur just because um, I don't know. The you know looks are certainly debatable in anything, and uh, I just all of these large luxury SUVs they have sort of a scary look to them. <laughs> the Cullinan, the Bentayga. Uh, there isn't one yet. This I mean the Aston Martin DBX, which is coming soon. It's it's maybe the closest to okay, but uh, there none of them are really good looking. And I think the Flying Spur is uh, it, it's not it's an inoffensive look. And you know I like sedans. It's like you have to sort of support sedans now so they don't go away and everything gets replaced by an SUV. So I'm casting my vote boldly for the Flying Spur. And listeners out there, you can go to GoFundMe, uh, Mark Save the Sedans, and donate uh, at will. It's it's a good cause. It's a meaningful cause, and uh, we're trying to save the sedans. You know, we had a uh, we we had a Bentley in the office, a Bentega, a year or two ago when we were going to the um, Empire Hill Climb, and I brought the family up there, me, the wife, and the kids, and it was actually not enough space, like for the stuff that you need for two toddlers. And we're talking like play pens and strollers and all that stuff. And maybe you just need a bigger car if you have that, but like, or fewer children, I think I had to put stuff in a different car to get it all up North in uh, Michigan here. Um, well, again, if you have this much money, you send your kids to boarding school. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I thought there was plenty of room back there, even with the seats folded up. But uh, again, uh, my kids don't need all that stuff anymore. You know, so right, a couple more years, and I'll be yeah, uh, I'll be in the market. Jake, yeah. have you considered strapping your kids to the top of the car? Well, I strapped the small one to the top. That was the plan. Okay, just okay. like in uh, what was that movie, uh, Raising Arizona? Remember? Oh the, yeah, Davey yeah. was riding on the top of the car, and Ty, what was the boxer's name? It was that Price Cobb? Price Cobb. <laughs> I dig- I digress. I they confuse that, that these days. I confuse that film with uh, home home movies of my childhood. But moving on, uh, Jake, what if, have you driven anything? Mr. Raynal, have you driven anything? I know uh, Michigan's on a stay-at-home order, and uh, I'm, I'm in, taking that, uh, literally. I'm, I'm driving uh, a X5, BMW X5M competition. Is it red? It's blue. 
Okay. Making sure it's not the same one I drove last year. What do you think I, of it? Speaking of 600 horsepower, right? Isn't that what that has, Randall? Something like that. It's kind of got ungodly SUV, I'll tell you that. It's, um, I don't know quite what to make of it. It's, <laughs> it's, no. uh, Graham faces the same problem, right? When, when he talked about the X5M and X6M, it's like, uh, he's, he's confused, but Mr. Randall, sorry. Yeah, it's, that's not a bad way to put it. I guess I'm a little bit confused. It's, I don't understand what it's for, but it's pretty cool to drive. And I mean, it does go like stink. No question about it. It's, it's more than a hundred thousand dollars. I think uh, Mr. Randall, you stumbled on the answer of what it's for. Uh, I believe it's to be expensive. Yeah, it sounds like, uh, I mean, I can't imagine that the X5, I mean, I think the X5 is probably a fine crossover for people. Yeah, it's great. why they offer, and Mercedes does it too, and they've all fallen, and Audi, they've fallen into this trap of trying to out big unit each other, so to speak, and it's it's like, I guess maybe it's profitable, but how many of these things do they sell, really? It's a, it's a nice car. It's beautifully built. The interior is wonderful. Um, I really do think the Germans do the best interiors. And uh, that it's kind of like, you know, it's a very nice car that I would never own, even if I had the money. Uh, coming full circle on this show, how is the infotainment system? Are you getting acclimated to this car's iDrive? Yeah, it's fine. I don't mind. I don't mind BMW iDrive. It's it's uh, it's fine. Does this one have Apple CarPlay? You know, I don't know. I should check. You should uh, check. It's got one thing that they've added to it, and I think Jake actually pointed this out in a story online the other day. You can now set some things you can do with buttons. Like I can pre-program like six or seven radio stations. By a with by pushing button like a normal radio, which I find extremely helpful in my old crotchety age. Uh, I like buttons and knobs. I don't like touchscreen this and that as much as I like just straightforward controls. Uh, and so, from that standpoint, iDrive has both kinds. You can read more about Mr. Reynolds' obsession with buttons and knobs on his blog, buttonsandknobs.com. dot org. <laughs> And .org, excuse me. It's actually .edu now. I changed it. Oh, nice. So, yeah. So, I mean, this X5 competition, M, M competition, it, it's crazy. It's fun. Uh, I, I don't know who it's for or what it's for, but it's fine. I mean, you know, getting back to that, to that Bentley discussion a second ago, between the flying spur of the Bentega, I would take the Mulzahn because I think that's probably the bad assest Bentley that ever bad asked because <laughs> it's got, it's, it's a really cool sedan. I do like the new, the new, uh, the flying spur is new and it's now based on the continental GT platform, which I think is just an Audi eight, a eight platform, a big the VW Phaeton was on that and all kinds Por- of stuff. Porsche Panamera, I think. There you go. And, but the X5 competition, it's fine. It's like it's a big crossover with a whole lot of motor. It so, gets to 60 in 3.8 seconds, one-tenth quicker than the Bentayga Speed. <laughs> nice. Uh, the thing about the X5 is the um, the base engine, the twin-turbo straight-six, is 
like moves that car around completely fine. Then you can step up to the V8 and like the uh, M50i, uh, X50i M or what M Sport or whatever it is. And then you can go up again to the to the X5 straight up M. And yeah, I agree, Wes. I, I don't know who it's for. Um, if you want, if you want 600 horsepower, if you're so enamored with horsepower that you want 600 of them, get a sports car, right? And then well, buy a Jeep Grand Cherokee. I think Jake. The person buying this car already has a sports car. My favorite yeah, that's probably true. My favorite 600 horsepower car is unfortunately no longer with us, and that was the CTSV from Cadillac, and that car is gone now. So we I don't should know all how many? Uh, yeah, we we should all pour yeah. one out for the CTSV. Yeah, I thought that was a spectacular car, but the BMW is fun. I mean, it it. It doesn't, and again, I, I know I keep harping on this when I talk about BMWs, but for years I hated BMWs because of the terrible run-flat ride in Detroit, but lately they've been fine, and this car is, it's its firm, but it doesn't kill you, and a lot of times, there were, there were, years went by where I hated driving BMWs because of the run-flats, but they seem to have cleaned up their act a little bit lately on the on the tires or i mean i can't imagine our roads are any better because they're not so it's got to <laughs> be it's got to be the improvement by bmw it must be um before i move too far away i just want to throw my hat in the ring the only bentley i think i would buy is an arnage because that's the one i can afford jake uh have you driven anything uh yeah one one last thing on bmw the x6m or otherwise is completely pointless Get an X5. No one should get the X6. Um, Agree to disagree. Right. That's fine. They're very um, popular here in the greater San Gabriel Valley. Well, because they're more about style than substance there. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we're very shallow here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I am currently in the uh, Mini Electric, uh, the two-door Mini Electric, um, and uh, it has and you, a you have, you have, range. You hmm? have a charger at your house, right? I do not, so I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to drive it less than 100 miles this week, these two weeks. I'm not sure if it's for a week or – No, you can plug it out. in at a regular outlet. You know that, right? Uh, the, the mini electric, you can. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. just plug it in. So just plug it in and leave it on overnight. Su- a super long extension cord, that's fine. The longer, yes. the better. Good. No, if it gets um, really hot, just uh, put some food on it. I, uh, I, I, I took it uh, – <laughs> I've driven it about 10 Shrimp. miles – I've driven about 10 miles so far to the store here and there and uh, around the neighborhood. And, you know, I mean, the usual electric car stuff, it's nice and quick off the line with uh, the 100% of torque from like zero RPM or zero, yeah, zero RPM, I guess you would call that. Um, um, the, uh, the, the regen, I, I like a super harsh regen, and that's what this has. Like if you let off the gas, your head like flicks forward, you know, like it's that hard to regen. So it's kind of a – it's a game I play with myself trying to let off the gas at the right time to come exactly to the stoplight and not, you know, too far back or too far forward. Can you adjust um, the region on the mini? Uh, I haven't figured out how to do that yet. I went to different like sport to green and green plus modes. It didn't seem to change it, but maybe somewhere in the menus you might be able to, but uh, I like it like that. And you can totally one pedal drive this thing, which is good. Um, and so I, uh, like I said, it came with the 100-mile range. I'm down to about 90 or 88 or something like that. And 
overnight, you know, it loses, it lost like two last night. So I'm going to look at it today and see if it lost two more and see if that's like the general thing. Is it going to lose two miles a day sitting because it does mostly sit since we're only supposed to travel for required whatever. But, um, but yeah, it'll be uh, interesting to see and I'll definitely uh, plug it into the wall and see if I can uh, get some of that back. Uh, did you read my excellent intro article on that uh, fine vehicle? I have not yet, but I will definitely do it before I write my review. I don't want to contradict you, you know. I actually think it's pretty cool. Uh, I, I'm i not a huge fan of minis, but if I was going to get a mini, that's probably the one I'd get. It's. Uh, I remember when the BMW contract AC Propulsion built a hundred mini, original mini E's, and the technology was so uh, infantile. It took up the whole back seat. The battery was reached. The battery took up the seat. Uh, ah. The thing leased for 800 something, $850 a month or some absurd thing like that. And I tried to tried to weasel my way into a long-term test car, and neither AutoWeek nor BMW Mini would uh, front that money for me. Bastards. Yeah. Classic. But... Now's as good as time as any to uh, wrap this one up. Thank you for listening. Next week, you'll hear about my Buick. Uh, let me tell you, it is definitely an enclave. Uh, thank you for... <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty funny, right? Thank you again for listening. Uh, like, subscribe, tell a friend, blah, 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 blah. Go to autoweek.com. Uh, your listenership keeps us going. So thank you and see you next week. Bye.